Um, it's, it's just a strange Sunday for me. It cannot be business as usual for me. Um, and I'm, you know, there's a part of me that uh, the preacher in me wants to just hide behind the word today. But the pastor in me understands that's the worst thing for this congregation. Those of you that are watching on live stream, you can't really see the congregation. But we are a multi-generational, multi-racial, um, multi-temperament group of people. We are not the same. It's not a white church. It's not a black church or an Asian or Hispanic church. Most of the time, we don't even like to really draw attention to our diversity because we sense such a oneness with each other when we gather in this place and we're all focusing on Jesus and it's not about what makes us different. It's about him, he who makes us one. But right now in the United States of America, over the last five or six days, um, when, when I look in the mirror, I'm aware of my whiteness. When I'm talking to people or in public, I, I'm aware of their brownness. And I'm usually not like that. And uh, although it, it is just an issue, it's a, a biological issue, the color of our skin, um, it's, it's also a cultural issue because the color of our skin is not just the color of our skin. Um, in, outside of the context of Jesus Christ, it places us with a group of people. It's foolish to say that we're so spiritual that we're colorblind. It's really a statement of ignorance. It'd be better just to be specific and say, I'm not racist or I'm not racially prejudiced. But none of us are colorblind unless we are, and I don't mean this in humor, unless we're physically blind, none of us are colorblind. If I walked up and I snatched your purse and the cops came and said, describe the man that snatched your purse, you would say, he was a short, round, white guy. <laughs> Why? Because it's what we see. And we're never going to get away from that. God does not want us to blend into a soupy uniformity. He made us the way he made us on purpose. He chose our frame and the pigmentation of the skin that he wrapped our soul in. He deposited us in a place at a time of his choosing. And because we're all sinners, because every single one of us, apart and outside of Jesus Christ, carries within his or her chest the savage heart, we are prone to display our fallenness in more ways than we can number. And one of those ways that we see played out before us is in this issue of lovelessness towards people that are different than us. I'm going to make some bold statements in the message today. And I, I told my friend Jeremy White, as he and I stood out in the hall, he was emotional then, and I'm getting emotional now thinking about it, because we love each other. He's a big African-American guy with a heart for Jesus and people. I'm a little Caucasian guy with a heart for Jesus and people, and we're looking at each other, and we're realizing that our nation doesn't want us to love each other. Amen. Doesn't want us to stand united. And then there's another layer to it that, that 
wants to pretend that there aren't any differences and everything's the same and, and there's so much pretense and so much falsehood and so much indifference and ignorance and lovelessness that are all swirling around these topics that we're forced to explore right now. And so it's going to feel messy today. I, I just hope that when all is said and done, I've pointed you to Jesus Christ because he is the one who is bringing about the reality. It's already a spiritual truth, and he's bringing about the reality of it in time and space and history of a one bride, one church, one people. That is the reality of Jesus Christ. That is the reality of those who follow Jesus Christ. But sometimes it's hard to get out of our flesh and figure out how that makes it work. And that's why our country has been segregated. Our schools have been segregated. Our churches have been segregated. But more importantly than all of those external things, our attitudes are segregated. And it's not enough to say, I don't have any problem with white people. I don't have any problem with Latinos. I don't have any problem with Asians or blacks. Is that really the high road? Because Jesus said, it's not that I commanded you not to have a problem with them. I commanded you to love them. And at the risk of alienating and overgeneralizing, I'm not sure we are pursuing the depth of love that Jesus has commissioned for us. And ultimately, that is the only solution. I'm not going to fix anything in America today, I promise you. I won't fix anything in America of this magnitude in my entire lifetime. I can't solve it, but I will speak to it today. I'm going to bring you a passage of Scripture out of Job chapter 4. And of course, the book of Job is a book about suffering. If you're new to your Bible, Job was a devout man before God. He's one of the few men of whom God specifically says, this is a really good man. God called him the most upright man of his day. God defined that uprightness in one part that Job fled evil. Job hated what was wrong and loved what was right. And God prospered and blessed Job. And one day in one of the most mysterious conversations that ever took place anywhere in the Bible, Satan is given entrance and audience to God Almighty, and he goes in, and God says, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro throughout the whole earth. And he's not just observing when Satan is walking about, he's seeking to do what he's always sought to do, to steal and kill and destroy. And God says this, he says, have you considered my boy Job? Have you considered him? And so the conversation between God and Satan takes place. And by the way, Job is completely unaware of this conversation going on about him. And Satan says, let me touch Job's life a little bit, and we'll see how faithful he is to you. We'll see how righteous he is to you. We'll see how godly he remains. Just take your hedge of protection off of him. Let me do some of my work, and we'll see if he still remains your boy. God said, I'm going to let you do this. And it was a couple of conversations. The Lord said, I'm not going to let you kill him, 
but I am going to let you afflict him. And so Satan did. In a very short amount of time, Job lost all of his children. Job lost all of his wealth. Job lost all of his business, all of his employees. And then ultimately, Job lost his entire health. And initially, the, the counsel that came to him was from his wife, who, by the way, don't you be hard on Mrs. Job. She had buried 10 kids, too. And she said, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? And Job said, you're speaking like a foolish woman. We've received good at the hand of the Lord. Can we expect to get a free pass on evil in this life? It's a great question, by the way. We're quick to praise the Lord when everything's going wonderfully. It's not as easy to praise Him when we're confused and hurt and angry and feel like we don't have a voice. By the time you get to chapter number four, Job's now in a room full of four guys that would have done better just to remain quiet. And they didn't. And they're very much like we are when we think we have answers that somebody needs. The book of Job, if nothing else, teaches us that one of the greatest things you can offer to somebody that's suffering is your silence and your compassion. These guys didn't have either. And a man named Eliphaz is about to offer the words that, that I'm going to read. I didn't bring my glasses up here. Landon, bring me my glasses, son. Thank you. So in Job chapter number 4, look with me in verse number 12. And this is Eliphaz speaking. It's, it's a little bit of a weird passage. He's testifying to Job, and he says, A word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake, a spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Now this is Eliphaz testifying what this spirit could have been an angel. Some might have thought it was a demon. Some have even said it was the Holy Spirit, but here's the question. Can a mortal man be right in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even his servants, even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. And here's the two verses that captured me. Between morning and evening, he's speaking of human beings, they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die and that without wisdom? I'm going to go through the text a little bit. And I think it'll be a great springboard for me to encourage us as the people of God. If you're not a believer here today, this may be really strange for you. If you're watching online out of curiosity, you may think, what is he doing? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to be obedient this morning, and so I'm going to quit at this point thinking about what I'm doing, and I'm just going to pour into you because I think we'll get some help this morning. Let me give you some of this. 
There's four things I want to share from this text and then a couple of other verses. And I am going to be talking to you in the context of the killing of two black men by white officers and the response of that by a 25-year-old named Micah Johnson who believed the best response for him was to intentionally seek to kill as many white people as he can, primarily police officers in Dallas. And so you know what? No matter if you're white or black or you're somewhere in between with your pigmentation, everybody in here is feeling the sting of this. Everybody. It's not going to feel good to any of us, but the question is not what should they do in Dallas, not what should the DA do, not what should they do in Louisiana or Minnesota. Not, not what should they do, but the question is this, because they're going to do what they're going to do. The question is, what do I need to think, and then what do I need to do? Because ultimately, that's the only thing I'm in control of. And so as we think about Alton Sterling, how many of you saw the video? He was gunned down in Louisiana. The facts, I'm not here to present because I don't know them. I saw the video. I've read the reports. All I know is that the police were called. He was on his back. The video did not make it clear that there was a reason. The video did not make it clear that there was a reason for this black man to be shot by two white officers. Therefore, in the black community, the question is raised once again, how many more times do we have to witness this? How many more times is this going to happen? Now, I am not here to try the case. I am giving expression to what I saw and to what I've heard from my black friends and, of course, from all of the voices that are coming into our culture. I will also say this. I'm not the police officer. I'm not the one who has the, the desire to control this man in this very tense situation, knowing that he's armed, that much is known, knowing that the gun is there, knowing that he, possibly they knew, that he had a criminal history, and in the moment they're trying to preserve life and preserve the situation. I'm not that cop. I don't know what I would have done. So all of a sudden, you're probably leaning one way or the other. And the fact of the matter is, is we're not qualified to make a judgment on that occasion, but that occasion, that situation, what we saw speaks to something else that is going on. Well, it wasn't but a few days later that Philando Castile was killed in a traffic stop by a white officer, a black man, in his car, and his girlfriend live-streamed it seconds after he was killed. And so our senses are hit with the reality, this is what it looks like. It's one thing to read black print on white paper uh, uh, on a news story. It's another thing to see a man dying with the officer's gun still out. But I'm not that officer. I don't know. And that's why I'm not speaking to the, to the legal issue. What I'm telling you is the images and what has occurred have an effect that ripples out into all of our lives and into the fabric of our culture. That's the context of the thoughts I want to share with you today. Say, so Jeff, why even bring Job into it? Just watch with me. These verses are going to move quickly, and then I want to speak to this, and then I'm going to ask God to begin to speak to you as an individual, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to move forward, but not casually, 
not indifferently, and in, not in a spirit that just says, there's a Braves game this afternoon. There's a wedding coming up. There's a meal that needs to be cooked. I got a report due tomorrow. No, not for this hour. Verses 12 through 14, we see earthly tribulation. Eliphaz is giving a personal testimony. And this is his personal testimony. He had had a very disturbing encounter. He says, a word was brought to me stealthily. That, that pictures him, him not expecting what was about to occur. He says, my ear received the whisper of it. It has a supernatural, intense complexity to it. He says, amid thoughts from visions of the night when deep sleep falls on men, he says, dread came upon me, trembling, which made all my bones shake. Now, the only reason I'm putting that in there at all is because here's a man who's made of the same DNA as you are. In other words, he's human. He's made in the image of God. By the way, let's remember that over all of this, no matter where we stand, all of these people that are now dead were made in the image of God. All of them. Genesis chapter 1. Moses talks about giving the account in the eternity of the Godhead and eternity past. Let us make man in our own image. And throughout the Psalms, that truth is reiterated that we're made in the image of God. You move to the New Testament and Paul solidifies we're made in the image of God. The, the, James the Apostle says we're made in the image of God. So this is not just some incidental group of individuals, five wrapped in white pigmentation, two wrapped in black pigmentation. These are souls that God has said, I will make this pe these people in my image. Eliphaz was one of us, a human being. And he said, I have experienced something that has shaken me to the core. I had a vision, an encounter, and it caused me to be deeply disturbed within. He said, dread, trembling, and shaking bones. It's a beautiful type of what you go through in life through various seasons. There are moments, there are occurrences, there are experiences that shake you to your core. And sometimes the shaking is so violent that it, your tremors connect with the tremors of other, words, other ones. And it's like uh, in Ezekiel chapter 37 where, where the prophet says, behold a shaking. And it reverberates. It's like a spiritual earthquake, a cultural earthquake. You go down into verses 15 and 16. And he begins to speak, and I do not believe that this was a demon that came to Eliphaz. I believe it was an angelic messenger. What is asked is God-honoring and human-humbling. It's consistent with the way the Lord speaks. And it says in verse 15, a spirit glided past my face. He was invaded on earth by some visitor from heaven. And Eliphaz says, all my hair and my flesh stood up. It is a supernatural experience. This spirit stood still. And Eliphaz says, but I couldn't figure it out. I really couldn't discern its appearance. In other words, this situation was bigger than Eliphaz. It was beyond his pay grade. And he says, and then there was silence. So he knew something was happening, but there was no clear answer. There was no word of explanation. As a matter of fact, you're going to find that in this encounter, it only generates more questions. It doesn't bring any closure. Uh, he says that the spirit stood still. He couldn't discern its appearance. And a form was before my eyes. Then there was silence. And then I heard a voice. What you have here is a dramatic encounter. 
It was initiated by heaven to provoke Eliphaz to think deeply upon the tragedy that had befallen his friend Job. Eliphaz is looking at a tragedy, sitting on an ash heap, scraping himself with a piece of pottery as Job's body is covered with boils, as he's had 10 funerals, as he's lost his business, and now Eliphaz is saying, last night I had a visitation that caused me to tremble on the inside. Sometimes life gets so big that you just can't keep doing what you did last week. That you just can't keep moving glibly, casually through the American dream, gaining a little, spending a little, a little fun, a little difficulty, and and we live in this, oftentimes, this bubble of non-reality. When tragedy is everywhere. It's not all that there is, but it is there. Suffering and pain and racism and injustice and prejudice and vengeance and all of the nastiness that spills forth from the conduit of our depravity as people. And sometimes it is as if the cap has been removed and the uh, the depravity is pouring forth at unprecedented levels. I feel like we're living in a day like that. I feel like the United States of America is not going through a blip of the radar. I feel like it is a spiral going out of control and nothing will reverse it except a Holy Ghost revival and repentance among the people of God and then whatever ensues from that. Now I'm going to be tough this morning. I say go ahead and say amen and applaud it, but are you, are you pursuing it? It's not enough for us to want it and know that we need it. I'm, I'm, I'm asking us, I'm asking tough questions of us this morning. Because if I've I've got a prejudicial heart, if I've got a heart of lovelessness, if I've got a heart that is schlacked with veneer, that nods to my black friend on Sunday and shakes his hand, but then talks about his people on Monday, am I part of the solution or part of the problem? Now, by the way, that's not what occurs in my life, but it does occur in many lives. So we get down to verses 17, 18, and 19. Here comes the soul investigation. Listen to what this spirit, this perhaps an angel, this undefined messenger from heaven, he asks questions. He says, can mortal man be right, in the, be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Do you know what this is? My old friend Larry Miller, I think it's his birthday today, he used to be the administrative pastor here, he said every now and then we need a checkup from the neck up. And this is a checkup from the neck up, because this is what is being asked These men are giving Job all of the sanctimonious advice about why Job is suffering. Basically, it can be condensed in this. Hey, Job, you've probably got some secret sin. That's why you're covered with boils. That's why your kids died. That's why you lost your business. If you just confess your sins to the Lord, everything will be okay, and God will be nice to you again. And, of course, God straightens out those idiots by the end of the book of Job. But in the meantime, this, this messenger comes and says this. He says, so can a human being make himself or herself right before God? You know what that is? It's what I call a pride shot block. Pride shot block. I'm a big NBA fan, and uh, I was watching some of the trade activity, and uh, it's trade season, and they're getting ready for the new season, and I love good defense. It's a rare guy who can just come out of nowhere and just block a shot. 
I love watching LeBron do it. I don't, don't boo, don't hiss. I just love watching LeBron do it. There's others, but there's just something about a guy coming. There's somebody going up for a dunk or a layup. He's, he's just thinking, I hope somebody's getting a picture of this. It's going to be awesome. And then out of nowhere, some defender comes, just knocks the ball down. And Dikembe Mutombo, you remember that? All right, sorry, I'm getting off track. But the point is this. Eliphaz and his three fundamentalist companions have been talking about what it means to be right before God, and the Spirit comes in and just shot blocks me. He says, oh, oh, really? Can a man be right before his God then? In other words, oh, on your own. You're speaking from a sense of presumed wisdom. You're speaking from a sense of presumed righteousness. You're coming from the spectrum as if you've got all the information. You're speaking in pride. And by the way, that's what God indicts them for later in the book, so I'm not making that up. Say, well, Jeff, what in the world does shot blocking and a spirit in front of Eliphaz have to do with me? Because we talk like Eliphaz and his friends do. Because white people, when they see the protests and they see the rallies and they see the outcry and they see the revenge, let me just say this, I, I don't even care if anybody's offended this morning. Some white folks just kind of glibly say, ah, black fellows behaving badly. Black folks behaving badly. Seen it before, seen it again. It's endemic in their culture. And then, then, then other white folks, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender, so just buckle up this morning. Other white folks will say, well, the statistics say that the Black Lives Matter is just absolutely irrelevant because more black people kill black people than white people kill black people. And so we de default to a set of st statistics. And we hide behind statistics, and we hide behind news reports, and we behind, hide behind social trends, and we hide behind all of the things that we get to hide behind, anything we can hide behind, to bypass the reality that Jesus isn't asking you to solve the problem, he's asking you to love the people. He's saying, I don't want you to defend your right to be prejudiced, I'm telling you that there is a reason for all of this, and lovelessness says, I don't care what the reason is. And that's what's going on. It's almost been 400 years since the first African was taken by threat of violence and actual violence from his homeland, and those that survived came and landed in America. And that is how Africans came to this country. How many of you know that origin influences outcome? And the origin of black-skinned people in America was that of being enslaved. And for hundreds of years, that was their lot in here, in this country. Say, Jeff, we don't live there anymore. Friends, I want to tell you something. I understand we don't live there anymore. I've never owned a slave. None of you that are in here, to the best of my knowledge, have ever been owned slaves. But it is the indifference and the ignorance among us who are white, where we can casually blow off a history of people that we share nationality with, that we share also spiritual ties in the blood of Jesus with, and our attitude is often perceived by the black community as, can't y'all just get over it? And it's widespread. Do you know why there are protests? I'm, I think black lives matters. As I told you, I'm being an equal opportunity offender. I think it is pointless, and I think it is not making a positive impact. But do you know why it's happening? 
Because when a people are not heard for decades and centuries, they will turn up the volume. They will be heard. The African-American, the black community, I'm not politically correct. I hope you're not offended if I say black. The point is this. The black community is shaking like an angry child will who's been looking for love and is unanswered still. And I want to say something. I'm just going to keep saying things. To my white brothers, sisters, friends, as a race of people, we are ignorant of the black experience. And unless you have made it a point to become informed, not by reading books, but by being with black people, you have no clue. And you will be tempted and active in giving glib answers that are primarily fueled by your white experience and by your, not intentional bias, but your natural bias, because you don't get it, you don't understand it, therefore you dismiss it and they're not being heard. So that's why you see protest. That's why you see anger. That's why you see hostility. Some of you aren't gonna like to hear this, but it's still true. Origin influences outcome. Listen to me. The system is stacked against non-whites. It is. Now that does not mean that non-whites cannot overcome, that non-whites cannot prosper, that non-whites cannot live in excellence, that non-whites cannot become the president of the United States of America. So there is individual opportunity in the midst of widespread uh, prejudice in a system that is stacked against non-whites. So the question again comes back to me. I say to myself, I want to do something, Lord. I don't like injustice. That's wrong. And I hear the gentle voice of the Lord saying, then start making a difference in individuals. The system is bigger than your abilities, Jeff. Start making a difference in individuals. You see, we're all angry about a system one way or another. I'll say on behalf of of white people as one, uh, th- there are times where we say, why, why don't you look into your own community, my African-American friend? Where a, a disproportionate amount of households have no dads. I, I, I don't know if it's still true, but at one point, the statistics said that there were more incarcerated African-American men than there were enrolled in college. And so there's the statistics. And let me tell you what what white people do. We say, what's their problem? Now, please, I'm I'm sure I'm not helping unity right now, but I'm not trying, I'm addressing the system. 
I'm addressing the system. I'm not addressing individual people right here. Because the problem is, is we're all so caught up in the wheels that are grinding in the system that we forget that if we'll actually spend time with people that are different and we'll hear their story and we'll listen to them, and especially those of us that are born again and and, and just sealed and filled by the Holy Spirit, that God the Spirit will produce the fruit of love in us and that powerful fruit of love produced by the Holy Spirit in us is able to penetrate pigmentation differences. But we're so caught up in the system. Why is it like that? Let me give you a couple points. This outline is trashed. I'm I'm just going to talk, man. I'm so burdened. There is a very real enemy who commands an army of innumerable demons. And the charge of Satan to the demonic horde is kill them all, destroy them all, inflict pain on every single one of them to the most and highest degree that you can, and at all costs, get them to do it to each other so we can watch. So when two African-American men are killed and it's videoed, let me just ask my white friends, how would you feel if it was reversed and there was a history attached? How would you feel? Would you be afraid for your children if you were black? This is... My son is going to grow up in a culture where injustice is abounding towards my people, but I'm sure he'll be okay. You, you really, do we really think we would just glibly be immune to the concern, the fear, the anger, the hurt? So when Alton Sterling and Philando Castile are killed, Micah Johnson takes a gun And by the way, don't send me a stinking email about guns. The gun didn't do it. Micah Johnson did it. So, by his own testimony before he was killed, he said, I I, I did this in response to the two killings of the black men, and I want to kill as many white people as possible. So prejudice runs both ways. So he killed Officer Brent Thompson. And he killed Officer Patrick Zamaripa. And he killed Michael Kroll. And he killed Michael Smith. And he killed Lauren Ahrens. They're gone. He wounded many others. Why? He was mad at white people. He was mad at the system. By the way, Brent Thompson and Patrick Zamaripa and Michael Kroll and Michael Smith and Lauren Ahrens and all those other ones that were shot, they didn't have anything to do with Alton Sterling or Philando Castillo. They didn't have anything to do with them. These are men that are out there trying to protect their community. And so let's make a couple of statements here. I asked the Holy Spirit just to give me guidance, statement from statement. Can we, can we agree on some things just to fight back against lies with truth? Can we agree that there are some bad cops, but most of them aren't? Can we agree with that? Yes. 
Can we agree that there are some men with black skin that commit crimes, but not all of them? Can we agree with that? Can we agree that there's a lot of men with white skin that commit crimes, but not all of them? Can we agree that there is overt racism that is peppered throughout our culture? Is that true or not? But does that make you a racist? If I support the families and express outrage about these cops being gunned down in cold-blooded murder, does that therefore by default mean I'm unsympathetic to my black friends? Does it mean I'm a racist because I speak out against the fact that these men were killed because of their color and it's wrong? Or if I am sympathetic to a 15-year-old son who says in a news conference, weeping, I just want my daddy back because his dad died at the wrong end of an officer's pistol. Again, I'm not judging the case. What I'm saying is this. If that officer had said, yeah, I just wanted to kill black men, like the man said, yeah, I just wanted to kill white people, it'd be an easier situation. You could clearly say what he did was a racist assassination, these police officers. We don't know any of that. But if I have compassion on that family and on the black community, does that mean that I'm a sellout to white people? Well, if it does, I'm a sellout. Because what we need to do is we need to recognize, folks, these are human beings created in the likeness of God. And and I want to say that when we're just kind of casually throwing little social media grenades out there, there's people that are reading them that have a history entirely different than yours. One of my good friends, he was so active in this church for a long time, he now pastors in Sparta, Meredith Ransom. Meredith would have been in his mid-30s living in Lawrenceville, an insurance professional, out on a morning jog. He's a big old African-American guy, one of the nicest people in the world. He's got a laugh that will just, you know, raise the dead. I mean, he is just such a, a beautiful man. And I'll never forget him sharing with me how he was just out for his morning jog one day. And as he approached a four-way stop where there was a, a white lady in her car, he's just out for his morning jog. He lives in the neighborhood and he hears the click-click of the doors locking because he's a black man in a predominantly white neighborhood. And surely that can't be good news. And when he told me that story, he wasn't bitter. He was hurt. Prejudice is the tool of the devil. And friends, you've probably got some in you. I do too. I remember in 1984 being at University of Georgia for a baseball camp. I was, there were two white guys. I was one of them. (laughs) I had never encountered racism before. Never had. But I was the minority. And I knew it within about a half hour. I don't know why they chose this name because I'm not Jewish, but they called me Jew baby all week. I don't know why. I, white and Jewish, I guess. I, I don't know why. Lucky Charms guy would have made more sense because that's the kind of way I look. But they called me Jew baby. And by the end of the week, uh, one of them robbed me. And four of them humiliated me by, as one was stealing my wallet, the others were beating me with pizza boxes. They had invited me and they said, hey, Jew baby, come up to our dorm, bring a pizza, 
and we'd just been playing with you all week. So I walked in and, and had pizza boxes, and they took the pizza, and we were eating it, and then one got my wallet. I think I had it in my hand, and then they beat me with the pizza boxes, sent me out hungry without my wallet. And I went and told the guy directing the baseball camp, and he said, nothing I can do about it. And I remember how powerless I felt. It's like, you're in charge. You're supposed to help, help me. You're like, yeah, nothing I can do about it. You blow that up by about a million. And that's what so many in the African-American community feel. They're looking for justice. And when justice is denied, it makes you angry. And when it is systemic justice, injustice, excuse me, and it's decades and centuries long, you have a history of passing down that anger. And the anger doesn't diminish as time goes. The anger grows. And quite frankly, I believe in the African-American community now, there is, among many, a sense of, we don't care anymore what people think or say. We're done with it. If nobody will give us justice, we will create it. And that's what we're seeing. So, Jeff, are you defending that? Of course not. I'm explaining it. The, my explanations, I guarantee you that some of my African-American brothers and sisters sitting in congregation today are probably saying, Jeff, you're doing okay, but you don't know the half of it, son. I get that. The question is this, and you get to verses 20 and 21, and this question is asked. I call it the missing lamentation. Listen to the words here. The angel of the Spirit is still speaking. He says, between morning and evening, he's speaking of human beings, they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever, watch this, without anyone regarding it. Verse 21, is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die? And that without wisdom? This is speaking to systemic endemic violence, the cyclical nature of man killing man. The first sin that we see, uh, the second sin that we see portrayed in Scripture after Adam and Eve plunged us all into sin, the next sin was brother killing brother. We've been doing it ever since. One made in the likeness of the Father killing another, made in the likeness of the Father. And here this, the statement is this, they're beaten to pieces, they perish forever, it just means they're gone. And, and then the, 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 the characterization of it, no one even regards it. They die, and no wisdom is gained. It, this speaks to me, and it says this. This thing just keeps happening and happening and happening. The senseless, mindless violence. I was not raised in a racist environment. Many of you were, regardless of your skin color. There are many non-whites that were trained to hate whites. There are many whites that were trained to use racial epithets and to look at black people and Latinos and Asians in such a degrading manner that you don't even know you caught the virus because you've been living with it because your daddy passed it on to you when you were a little kid. You say, well, I, I, I don't say those things. I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel those things? Just because it doesn't pass through our lips doesn't mean it's not an issue of the heart. And so this, in our culture, the senseless rebellion, senseless fear, senseless deaths, 
Senseless revenge. This isn't just men behaving badly, friends. It's the clear work of Satan. And he is still the thief who steals, kills, and destroys. He delights in death. He delights in murder. He delights in revenge. He delights in racism. He delights in suspicion. He delights in hatred. He delights in bitterness. He delights in all of these things. And his demons are active. They're active. His demons are active. They're around your life. They may be in your life. They will seek to influence your thinking. Say, Jeff, now you sound like a hyper-charismatic. I'm a Bible believer. We, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is more than just people not getting along. This is stirring up devilish hatred. And he has a lot of willing participants, Satan does, and those that are devoid of Christ. My concern is, is he's starting to make his inroads in those that profess Christ. Last night I attended an interdenominational prayer meeting at Victory World Church up in Hamilton Mill. So interesting. I saw a friend walking in, a black man married to a white woman they used to attend here, and it just wasn't the right time for them. We were a little bound up in some things back then, and as soon as I saw him, I just rejoiced. And I said, do you all worship here? He said, yeah. I said, man, you got to come to Newbridge. This is not your granddaddy's meadow. Amen. I mean, this, you, you need to come back and just, you know. But the point is, is that when I saw him, I saw my friend. I didn't see a black dude. I know he's black, but I didn't, I didn't feel his blackness. I hope he didn't feel my whiteness. I saw my brother. So in the prayer meeting, as, as I was listening to Pastor Bowie up there at, uh, at Victory praying, uh, the Lord spoke to me. And this is, I can't get it out of my mind. I mean, I'm, when I don't say God spoke to me often. I'm saying it now. The Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me about what was going on in that room and what's going on, and, and there was an echo to what we're doing today. He said, everybody in here is right now hardening their heart on this issue or softening it. This morning, as you've listened to this well-intentioned rant on this issue of race and the other side of the aisle. Your heart's either gotten harder because you're, you're wanting to be right. You're wanting to defend your less than righteous attitudes. You're wanting to blame. You're wanting to find a target for why you don't have to align yourself in humility and brokenness with Jesus Christ who died for the black man, the black woman, the white man, the white woman, and any shade in between. You say, and, and listen, this is my concern. Lovelessness sighs and says, it's their problem. It's their problem. I don't have to deal with this. I go back to my Latino community, my Latino family with my Latino friends, my Latino language my Latino food, my Latino culture, and we'll just be Latino together. I'll deal with the whites on Sunday because we go to church with them. Blacks will say, not, not you, speaking very broadly here. Some blacks will say, they don't care. They're all racist. Bunch of white people, they don't give a rip about us. And the ones that pretend to do, they just got white savior complex. Come on. 
They're just doing it because they feel guilty. They don't really love us. They don't really care. We'll never overcome. It's always going to be against us. Why try? That may not be you, but that is. And listen, would it help to have some black folks say amen because you know some people like that. White people. Hey, I've got it pretty good. I don't mind black people. Do you hear that? I I don't mind black people. Really? Is, Is that where we are now? We don't mind each other? Friends, this is the problem. We're focusing on the dude with the assault rifle killing five cops. We're focusing on... The, the issue of the hostility between law enforce, enforcement and the black community. Those are real things. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to turn that into something good overnight. What God is saying is you can keep barking and posting and tweeting and Instagramming and Snapchatting your comments about this whole wreckage of the last week and decades before that. You can keep doing that. And you're not going to make a bit of difference except letting everybody know where you stand. How about you start examining your own heart and saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. And I'm going to tell you something. It'll be a great day in your life, my white friend. (laughs) When you sit down and through all the awkwardness, through it even feeling forced, You just sit down with somebody who's black and just say, I'm here to listen. If you've not done that, I'm just going to make you a promise. You don't understand. I've done it, and I know I still don't understand everything about the black experience, but I've done it because I care. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I love black people. (laughs) I love people. If you're black and you've got your mind made up about whites or law enforcement, you're equally susceptible to all sorts of generalizations and prejudices. You are. I've never been to a KK rally, KKK rally. Um, My parents let me know at a very young age if they ever heard the N-word come out of my mouth that they would blister my backside. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. Because that kind of foolishness needs to be stopped at childhood. We just don't understand each other. Blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, we we don't understand each other. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to understand somebody fully to love them. You don't. So I'm going to read you a couple of verses and I'm done. I don't want to be done, but I'm going to be done. Uh, Can you throw up the verse from Romans chapter 12? It's like the last slide, I think, one of the next to last slides. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. This is what I always do. I always say, okay, Lord, I'm a man who likes to fix stuff, but I can't fix this one, so just tell me what I can do. So Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. You, you, You can work on that the rest of your life, and you'll still have room to grow in it, but I really do encourage you, start working on letting your love be genuine. It'll run deep when it's genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, verse 10, love one another. (laughs) Do it. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
That means make somebody else more important than you. Give it a try. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. I didn't wake up with a, I didn't go to bed with a massive sense of hope last night, but man, as soon as Holy Spirit started speaking to me this morning, I was like, I know, I know your accent. Holy Spirit, your accent is hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. That means don't quit, don't give up. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse them. Where did he get that from? Where did Paul get that from? Who taught Paul that? Jesus. Jesus said, bless your enemy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If nothing else, the last several days, I was able to just say, God, the black community is languishing in pain and not being heard. I don't even feel like I have a right to speak to this. So I just didn't say much the first couple of days. I just got private and alone with the Lord and just wept. Why? I think that's what Jesus would do. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. <clears throat> Will you say that with me? Yeah. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with the black man. Live in harmony with the white man. Live in harmony with the white and black women and the Asians and the Hispanics. You say, Jeff, this just sounds so racial. Listen, just get over it for a minute, will you? We're different races. I'm speaking to the issue, not to further the problem, but to address it so that we can think about it. Live in harmony with one another. By the way, harmonious voices sound differently individually. In other words, and I'm not a music major, God help me right now, please, but you're singing different sounds that go well together. The call is not for the white and the black and the Latino and the Asian to be exactly alike. We're called to live in harmony together. In other words, God made a good thing when he made black people. He made a good thing when he made white people. He made a good thing when he made Latinos and Asians. He makes really good things. He makes great people. And he says, I want these good things to learn how to love each other and work well with each other so that when I listen to you speaking, when I read your post on Facebook, when I hear your tweets, when I see your private conversations, I want it to come up to my throne in harmony. And so, verse number 17, I'm, I'm done. Repay no one for evil for evil. Man, Micah Johnson. Micah Johnson. Army veteran, 25 years old, a black man who had such deep pain in his heart that he took delight, from what I understand, as he filmed the assassination, intentionally targeting white people. And Jesus, if he had listened... Micah Johnson would have heard Jesus say, yeah, don't repay evil for evil. Verse 18, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, and that's what this message is. I'm talking about what depends on you. Some things depend on you. Quit hiding behind what's wrong with the government. 
quit hiding behind the history of national oppression of minorities. And listen, my fellow white Americans, I defy you to say that it isn't so. I defy you to say that it has not been stacked against non-whites. Just because some have made it through that and overcome and succeeded and prospered doesn't mean that there isn't a system stacked against it. It's there. Don't be a part of it anymore. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it's not possible, most times it is. And if it is, God says, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let me just give you a piece of good news. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. Say, Jeff, but they have, but they won't. Say, Jeff, it's just, uh, it hadn't happened yet. It may not in this life, but I'm going to promise you something. You just stay close to Jesus. He's going to vindicate you. He's going to validate you. And the Bible, the Word of God says, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, I believe verse number 5, maybe verse number 7, says it is a righteous thing with God to repay trouble to those who trouble you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, amen. It is a righteous thing with God to repay trouble to those who trouble you. So your life's too short for you to be caught up in bitterness and jadedness and how you've been done wrong. And listen, I get it. I understand the context of it. Rise above the context. Get out of what is trying to bring you down. Listen to the right people. Angle your heart to Jesus. Call on him, wait on him, believe in him. Don't get sucked into the, the system that is never going to be for you. Friends, the whole system, ultimately, oh, the train won't stop. Ultimately, I'm not a white American. Ultimately, I am an eternal citizen of the kingdom of God along with everybody else who's part of that kingdom. That's how I'm angling my life. And if that means I have to break ties with white foolishness, I'll break them. If that means I have to look at my black brothers and sisters on occasion to say you're not thinking kingdom, you're thinking American, you're thinking historically, you're not thinking eternally, then I'll do that. But ultimately I want to say this, God! You have paid the ultimate price for my eternity that I might be loved by you forever and ever. Please, Lord, don't let the seed of bitterness take root in my heart that defiles me and keeps me from enjoying the goodness of my God due to my awareness of the badness of men.